0: Hi everyone, it's Jane, one of the members of Trinity's Ability Co-op and we will be running a series of podcasts in conjunction with TCDSU's Disability Week and World Disability Day, which falls on the 3rd of December this year. The aim of these podcasts is to explore the positives of living with a disability by getting an insight into the life of those with a disability in the public spotlight, as often disabilities can be portrayed quite negatively in the media. Today we are fortunately joined by Alice Palmer, a journalist and producer on BBC Radio 5 Live and World Service. He's originally from Merseyside in Northern England and Alice lives with several palsy and is a wheelchair user. Prior to joining the BBC in 2017, Alice studied politics and languages at the Universities of Birmingham and Barcelona with a Masters in Nationalism and Current Democracies in his third language, Catalan, at Barcelona's Pampu Fabra University. He's a Catalan and Spanish speaker, a Manchester City season ticket holder, and in lockdown, Ellis has cycled well over 5,000 kilometres around his hometown. The ability co-op are very grateful that Ellis could take time out of his busy schedule today to speak with us. Hi Ellis, how are you getting on? I'm good, I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Jane? Yeah I'm grand and I just want to ask you like a couple of questions so as you already know the Ability Co-op is a student-led disability activist group here in Trinity so it's probably most fitting to ask you first about your univer- about your experience as a student with a disability at university. How did you find it overall?
1: I had a weird multifaceted experience at university having kind of studied at three different unis. First of all I went to the University of Birmingham in the English Midlands. that was An interesting college to go to because kind of it gave me very much the the English experience of what college should be like. You had a lot of of support, a lot of money, a lot of assistive technology there. I had um, note takers in all my lectures. I had fully accessible room on campus, which was great, which was wonderful, cost an arm and a leg. My parents won't forgive me. It was interesting in some ways because... It was very much for frequent. It was a weird experience. I was studying a spirit degree in kind of politics and uh, Spanish. And that's not really the done thing for people to do at university in England at least. More often times people would study one degree and have that one specialism. So sometimes that was difficult. Trying to work across departments was difficult. And it's even more difficult when you've got a disability, when you've got to manage that bureaucracy, not just the bureaucracy of being a student on a course, but also the bureaucracy of being a disabled student as well. And I found one of the things I did find, uh, particularly with the Disabled Students Allowance, which is like the grant that's given to disabled students in the the UK, was that there was a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of paper filling and a lot of receipts and could be a little bit chaotic at times. (laughs) I'd say but my experience at Birmingham was broadly positive. You know, I'd say the most important thing I probably did was kind of, you know, defy expectations. I, I mean, yes, studying politics is great, studying Spanish is great, but I, p- I picked up Catalan and kind of studied uh, weird things like Russian and Ukrainian politics and all that sort of thing. So sometimes there can be a tendency, as a disabled student or a disabled yeah. academic, Definitely. to be focused just on disability stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: And I would actually say sometimes the most important thing is that you do things in the academic sphere that aren't disability related. That isn't to say that you ignore the disability as something that didn't exist in your life. No, that's not true at all. I did my Erasmus year, my third year at the University of Barcelona. That was absolutely fantastic. I had great halls, fully wheelchair accessible bathroom, from going from some ways in Birmingham where you know everything, you, you know you've got to have a special wheel, the room, and everything like that, to Barcelona I was just you know another one of the lads. Yes, I had it. A fully accessible bathroom that I could use but my room was just the same as anybody else's and that was great. All my meals were provided for me which is a massive difficulty being somebody who to be honest with you can't really cook. <laughs> I think my my proudest achievement was burning pasta when I was a student. Oh, so, yes. I think how do you there. burn <laughs> pasta? I don't know how. The academic side at Barcelona was absolutely fantastic as well. I had some great lecturers. I kind of Really nosedived into. Well, I studied all in Barcelona. Actually, did all my courses. About seventy-five percent of my courses in Catalan over there in political sciences, and that was quite strange for you know an English student and a Russian student to study all their courses in Catalan. But I rolled with it, mm-hmm. and I loved it. It was great. I had some really, really inspiring lecturers. Studied some really, really inspiring stuff. Thought outside the box. Became a bit obsessed with the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci.
0: I'm glad that you would such and a man, positive experience on it, like, because obviously, I like movement can be such a challenge sometimes, especially if you're a student with disability. It's a challenge for you're a normal, average person. Obviously, it's a bigger challenge for someone with disability as well. So,
1: good thing about Barcelona in some ways, I find particularly, I don't know what college is, I get Trinity for you, Jane, but college in, in England, you tend, in, in Birmingham, you tend to have, say, very very limited contact time and then you would and then you spend the rest of the time I don't know ostensibly studying but more likely just you know doing whatever you you were doing your societies and everything like that. At Barcelona that didn't really exist you had a lot more contact time I went from having probably about 12 hours to having about 20 hours of contact time a week but you were taught everything you needed to learn in lectures which was great so I, I And also, it was a lot more structured, so rather than having, you have the choice between morning lectures or afternoon lectures.
0: Yeah, I had that choice, Uh, it was
1: great. (laughs) For all your courses, which is, honestly, it's fantastic, and as a disabled student, that's the kind of reasonable adjustment that I think is actually really, really important. Because if you have that kind of that kind of adjustment in place, it can it can enable you to maximise things. If you have difficulties with personal care or, any, or anything like that, you can you can use that. And then my final year, I came back to the UK, and actually, this is a bit bizarre, but I lived in Liverpool, my parents' house, in the northwest of England. Studied at Birmingham, my final year of my degree, with all with dissertation, all with chaos and everything like that. And then was working down in London at weekends. So for my final year of my degree, Jane, I probably spent more time on the railways than I did anywhere else. I estimated at one point I spent about 18 hours a week on the railways just yeah. travelling up and down the country. In many ways, it was because I'd had such a great year in Barcelona. I didn't really want to go back to what the situation had been in Birmingham, which I found to be quite isolated at times, yeah. when you're in student accommodation without having any, any family or friends nearby. And also going back, I don't know if you found this this year, because I know you, you did your Erasmus in uh, France last year, yeah. but I found one of the weird, particularly with the English system, most people do three-year degrees, rather than 4 year degrees.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: went back to Birmingham, basically found all my friends and moved, and moved away. Yeah. Or we're graduating and taking jobs elsewhere. I mean, I went back and did my master's in Barcelona in nationalism and current democracies at the Pompeo Fabre University. Don't worry, I you you were in Catalan one of these days.
0: Sorry, the pronunciation. It has <laughs> been a
1: bit of a struggle for me. It sounds great. That was interesting. That was, how, how would I explain my time at Pompeo Fabre? It was really mixed because I've gone from having a really good set of friends in Barcelona when I lived out there the first time, and you know, we take. Let notes for each other and lectures and everything like that. And I went to the Pompeo Fabra. On the one hand it was a great university, it really, it really was. And I was studying course weirdly enough in English, but I hadn't realised that it was taught in English until I yeah, actually I got there,
0: English, yeah.
1: which was really strange. Mm-hmm. But then all the other students were kind of other international students and I found that really strange, particularly when all the students I've been studying with previous in Barcelona were pretty much from yeah. Catalonia. And that, that was a real challenge to, to come to terms with. And I found, particularly because I didn't have my, my friends helping me out, taking kind of notes in the lectures for me, or, you know, we'd help each other out with essays and work and everything like that. I found that really, really difficult. So for Master's, I actually kind of fell behind a bit in some ways. Yeah. Good, good old man. the university realised that I was struggling and actually provided me with a note taker. Oh, great. So I spent many many of my final kind of three or four months in Barcelona just sitting there for like four or five hours a day in random cafes or libraries in Barcelona with his note taker, just writing out their thing. Make sure you disclose your disability, because that's something a lot of people struggle with, Jane.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, definitely. Um, I think most people do with a disability struggle with just even like this um, goes even the smallest thing because people are just afraid that they're going to be judged and there's going to be discrimination. And I suppose that kind of follows on to the next question that we have here. Um, the world of work can be very anxiety-inducing for everyone but especially for a disabled person as many face struggles with disclosing their disability and getting the supports that they need. How do you find the world of work as a disabled person? Do you have any tips or advice that could help disabled students applying for grad slash job opportunities in the near future?
1: Well, the most important thing I'd say is to come back to, to what I was just saying uh, about making sure you disclose your disability from the get-go. You know, even if it's something you're not necessarily open about in friends, the fact that your university or your workplace knows about your disability means that you're going to be a lot more able to get the support when you need it. You know, if you have a flare-up, or you have an incident, or you're not yeah. able to work or something like that, your university is just going to say, oh, you're being lazy, or you know, you're, you're not motivated or something like that rather than it sometimes rather than it being disability related yeah so my biggest advice would be even if you don't think you need it even if you don't think you need the support and even if you don't think you need a full package of support making sure you disclose your disability from the get-go makes a massive massive difference i've heard that that the hard way The thing we all do to a certain extent, we all realise the supports we need aren't always the supports we initially get. My biggest advice if you're ever going for workplace assessment or college assessment regarding university is, this is going to sound horrible, but think about your very worst day. What you would need, what adjustments you would need, what equipment you would need to make the most of your ability to do things. So I always say, imagine I've I'm had a bad night's sleep, it's raining, it's hailing outside, and I've got a full full day at work. What do I need? Well, I need a taxi to get in, because it's not very comfortable being a wheelchair user, soaking up all the rain on the street. Maybe some adjustments in the workplace, even if you need a laptop, or... You need some sort of assistive technology to yeah. enable you to type because your hands are going to be tired. You need the taxi to get home again at the bare yeah. minimum because it's still raining. You know, what other things do you need? And that is that's something that I would yeah. always say is really, really important. It's really difficult to do as a disabled person because oftentimes you find yourself trying to be as optimistic as you can
0: mm-hmm. given
1: the situation that you find yourself in unfortunately for these things you've always got to think what's the worst what's the worst that, that can happen you got um, the access
0: to uh, access to work scheme there in the uk um unfortunately we don't have a similar scheme in place at the moment but basically a background to the access to work scheme for our listeners is that <laughs> The British government will pay for the supports that you need, for example, if you need an interpreter or a note taker, etc.
1: Yeah, or if you need any kind of assistive equipment, if you need any specialist software for a laptop, if you need taxis to and from the workplace because of any condition that means you can't travel on public transport, you have difficulties traveling on public transport. The access to work scheme can be a great thing. I'd say the weird thing is, most people in the UK, many disabled people don't know about the Access to Work scheme. Yeah, I only day. found out about
0: it through a documentary um, on RT a few years ago, um, uh, a lot of hard-hearing um, Irish people emigrated to the UK for work because they were receiving a lot more support there because um, in Ireland it's up to your employer to pay for an interpreter, whereas the British government will cover the cost of the interpreter in the workplace over there, which is brilliant because it makes work more and more accessible.
1: Oh, I'm just going to Google the Equal Status Act whilst we speak here because the UK Equality Act 2010 mm-hmm. speaks about the need for reasonable adjustments. The Equal Status Act speaks about the need for reasonable accommodation, right? Yeah. Rather than ad- adjustment, it's the accommodation. It's you kind of coming to an agreement with your employer or your public service provider, which especially is what the Equal Status Act talks about, which... Which can make things difficult at times, uh, really, if you've got to constantly be coming to an agreement with people. And that can be a traumatic experience at the best of times. But I would say the law is your friend as a disabled person. Yeah. It sounds a bit weird. The law is your friend, particularly laws when they, when they deal with the Equal Status Acts in Ireland or the Equality Act. Use that to your advantage if you can, because. The law there, it's, it's oftentimes shoddily, shoddily enforced, a lot of disabled people would say. But if you have the law there, and you're able to use it, and you're able to get the adjustments you need, and you can prove it's a reasonable adjustment. Now, sometimes there'll be a bit of bartering, needed, a bit of negotiating, needed, and you'll have to prove why it's a reasonable adjustment and why you're not being unreasonable. But if you can do that, if you can make it work, you can adequately participate in society to maximise your opportunity. And I'd say, for disabled people participating in the workplace, the barriers are multiple. First and foremost, you've got the physical barrier, i.e. can I go into the workplace? Yes. Secondly, you've got the barriers for the legal, i.e. do I need reasonable adjustments? What are the structures that I need to get in there? Thirdly, the barriers are attitudinal you know, A lot of employers don't think that disabled people are there for work or they don't see disabled people as valid or disabled people aren't accountable for what reason or they're not putting themselves forward because they fear it may prejudice for benefits or something like that, which, which is a real challenge for a lot of disabled people. Yeah. To put it a really simple way to you, as I always say, but the biggest difficulty of taking up a job anywhere, wherever it may be, is, is the physical nature of accommodation. Yeah. Because oftentimes, accommodation isn't accessible. Trying to get a flat in Dublin, say, yeah. Dublin's a pretty expensive city anyway, yeah. but trying to get a flat that's got a, an accessible bathroom I'd be able to use, I'd be able to just shower myself and the simple dignity of having a shower before you go to work every day. Trying to get somewhere where you can do that is so, so difficult. An Mm. EHRC survey over here from 2018 found that 93% of properties don't even meet minimum accessibility requirements. That can basically get in, have a cup of tea, that's not make the cup of tea. That's not do the washing up or anything like that. That's literally get in and have a cup of tea. That's a real challenge. Think about the barriers that you face because it, it is difficult.
0: What would you What would you say are your biggest posi- um, positives about your disability? What do you think you're?
1: The biggest positives?
0: Oh, I'd say the ability to think outside the box because yeah. as a um, dyspraxic person, I relate with that so much.
1: Definitely, definitely, especially with this year that you find yourself in with COVID and everything like that, but you're coming up against these barriers constantly. These are the barriers that we as disabled people have to negotiate every single day in terms of getting around, in terms of dealing with inaccessible infrastructure and inaccessible attitudes. These are the barriers that we face every single day in terms of getting around, in terms of being able to do the things that we need to do. So I'd say that hidden, hidden capability to make the most out of things is, is, a, is, a, is a big positive.
0: I'm very interested to hear more about your cycling because you've apparently cycled over 5,000 kilometres since lockdown started. How do you find cycling as a wheelchair user?
1: You know what? Weirdly, this was inspired by a trip from Greystones to Brain. Okay, in, that's so interesting. Yeah.
0: He comes from Ireland, in, so very
1: nice to have. In September, and I've a friend of mine was like, oh, let's go and let's do a cliff walk from Great Stones to White. So we did the cliff walk, it's getting dark. And my battery died. And my friend, who's a, who's a journalist and has covered kind of all sorts of sports, he said, have you ever thought about hand cycling? No, i never thought about hand cycling. And that planted to proceed in my mind. And my battery had gone dead and I had no way of getting around. And I thought... What if there was a different way of doing things? What if there was a way that would enable me to be able to get around, to be able to maximize the most of my independence? Literally the cycling idea came and then it'd been gnawing away at me, gnawing away at me. And then in kind of the start of the year, I put the order in for a hand cycle. And again, it was it was when I was in Dublin just before lockdown, scarily before lockdown, in I think the first week of February. I was actually walking walking along. Yeah. And we're seeing all these cyclists and I thought, I wish that could be me. I wish that could be my way of being around it. Yeah. So but, that was always my, my, my desire was always to maximize the most out, yes. out of what I could do. You know, what that's been great about just being able to go and get around my local area and figure out a way a way of doing things that people may not be able to do. I mean, I, I've only I've only really been in my local, in my local area cycling around and yeah. you know it, if we if get the infrastructure right, yeah, and we the infrastructure get the done with and infrastructure done right, infrastructure. <laughs> sure, disabled people can do anything if we get the infrastructure right. But it's about getting to that point and getting to that place.
0: OK, that sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for taking uh, some time to talk to us. We're really appreciative of it and um, we'll talk soon.